Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. Well, hey, church, man, it is so good to be back with you today. Uh, For all of you who came to our worship night, just wow, how amazing was it to be in a room uh, with hundreds of people singing songs to Jesus? It was absolutely amazing. Uh, If you are considering, if you're thinking about coming to our worship night, that's not happening tonight, but it is going to be happening next week someplace in the north, like location TBD. But is TBD, is that the right thing to say? Right, yeah, yeah. So location, TBD, we actually think we have a place, right, Moses? We think we do, um, but, but there's a few details that need to be worked out, but it's going to be happening. It's going to be amazing. Don't think about it. Be about it. You will be changed. Uh, man, it's just so good to be back uh, singing songs to Jesus together. And I, I want to give a humongous shout out uh, to our AV team, especially Tyler praying, hashtag T-Pain uh, in the house, uh, making things that are super complicated look very, very very easy. So thank you, Tyler and Sophia and everybody else that uh, makes the dream work. We could not do this without you. So if you know anyone who serves on our AV team or if you know Tyler, I want you to write now. I want you to send him a text message. I want you to go to Tiff Street's website. I want you to order the man some cookies. All right. Uh, and, and let's just bless him and his team uh, because they bless us on the daily. Now, I love what God has put on my heart for us today because um, as we've been in this series that we're calling Pause, we've been leaning into what does it look like to be a people that pause what we're doing and lean into what he's doing, right? And and then last week, Pastor Chris just did an amazing job. Big shout out to Pastor Chris for preaching a heck of a message. But he gave us some really amazing practical things that we can do to step towards what it looks like to get past the limits of what we've come to know through the ups and down of life and get into the dreams that God has for us. And, and what I believe that God has put on my heart for us today is a key for us, uh, for those truths to, to not just be moments of impact in our lives, but to really find some momentum of change in our lives. And so if you have a Bible, I want you to right now jump with me to Luke chapter 11. Uh, And if you remember back when I preached a few weeks ago, and I know that's like a super hard challenge because if you're like me, school started this week. And so it's like back to school and it's kind of like it just started back where it left off after spring break when everything went crazy. So it's like ultimate Groundhog's Day, COVID-19. So if you can even remember back two weeks when I preached, the whole genesis of our series that we're in was birthed out of the question that Jesus's disciples asked him in Matthew 6, right? And it's the same question that we're asking in the middle of this series, and that is this, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Now, in the book of Luke, we're going to find Luke's account of this very same conversation, 
Now, if you're new to the Bible, you need to just make a middle note that the first four books of the New Testament, which is the back part of the Bible, the first four books are all telling the story of Jesus's life and ministry. So often we will find overlap within them. And this is what we find in Luke 11. And, and, and it's one of those moments where we get Luke's account of this conversation with Jesus and his guys. And, and, and this is what it says in Luke 11 after Jesus was asked by his disciples to teach them how to pray. It says this, when you pray, Jesus said, say, Father, hallowed. Remember, right? Like that's just a big fancy name for like, you're awesome. You're amazing. We think you're the best, right? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and leads us, lead us, excuse me, not into temptation. Now that is almost word for word of what we are going to find in Matthew 6. But here in Luke, we get a window, not just in how we can pray, but what it should look like when we pray. Because in Luke's account, in Luke 11, it goes on to say this in verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, I don't know, stuff like that makes me laugh in the Bible. Suppose you have a friend and you go to his house at midnight and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread and a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children are in bed. I'm in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Verse nine. So I say to you, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Today, I want to talk to you about the subject when it don't come easy. When it don't Come easy. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are the author and perfecter of our faith. Thank you, Lord, that even in these moments as we're sitting in living rooms and kitchens and all over the city and around this nation, leaning in together, God, that you're with us. We're asking that you would open up the eyes of our hearts, God. That you would plant a seed within us through your word today that's going to lead to lifelong change. And everybody said, amen. Now, before I go any further today, I kind of want to lob a question at you. And I wish that we were all in one room together at our North Campus or our South Campus, because I'd love to see how this divides out. But just I want you to play along in, in living rooms all over the city. 
How many of you would call yourself a starter? Raise your hand. You like to start things. All right? Yeah, that's me. I'm a starter. Okay? Now, for everyone who didn't raise your hand, you would call yourself a finisher. You like to finish things. You like to check things off the list. Now, some of you are like, don't put me in a box. I'm the balance of the two. And to that, I would say, you're a finisher because no starter would ever say that they want to finish. So if you feel like you're a balance of the two, you're actually just a finisher um, because we're either good at one or the other. That might not be true, but for the sake of today, let's just all think that that's true, right? So I, I come from a very long line of starters. Like it's, it's, like, a, it's like a generational blessing that, that Griffins are great at starting things, but we just need a little bit of help finishing things, okay? And this, this was on full display when Liz and I purchased our first home. All right, now we bought our first house, and, and here's the thing. If you haven't bought a house, uh, here's a little, a little rule of thumb. Don't buy anything but the floor plan. So if you don't like the wall color, who cares? You're not buying that. You want to be buying the floor. You, you, you want to be buying the stuff that's expensive to fix, the expensive to change. So that's what we did. We found a house that was ugly, but we liked the floor plan. So we bought this house knowing that we were literally going to be touching every surface of this home. Cabinets, walls, ceilings, everything was going to need to be changed and updated, but we liked the flow. Now, I was super pumped up. It's my first time. I'm finally a homeowner. There was a time in my life when I never thought that I would own a house. So the fact that I was able to purchase a house, man, I was fired up to start fixing up this house. Now, as I, like, I'm a starter. I like to start things. Like starting things, it's fun. It's exciting, right? It, it's easy to be passionate about it. Now, now, here's what happened. After about four weeks of painting and taping and scraping and, and like repainting and retaping and scraping and, and, and then repainting and, and, and scraping and, and taping. Like I, I started to not care. I got to the point where I did not even wipe up drips and smudges. Things that would have kept me up at night when I first started. Because I wanted to do it right, man. I was like, man, I'm going to do this one right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be perfect about it. Look, you should have seen how meticulous I was as I laid the plastic down on the floor. I even taped the plastic to the baseboards, man. Like, I, I was like, this is going to be immaculate. Four weeks in, I didn't care. Things that would have kept me up at night, I never even, I didn't even, I was like, who cares, man? Let's just get this thing done. You know, you start painting like this, just like, come on, just finish it. Right? Because, like, I don't like to finish things, man. Like, but even if you're a finisher, can we all just agree that finishing things feels different than starting things? I think we can all agree with that. Like, we, we all have a kind of a tendency towards our ability to complete things and our passion in starting things. That's some, there might be a little bit of differentiation there, but, but, but across the board, I think we can all agree that finishing things feels different than starting things. Because hear me, finishing doesn't come easy. Finishing does not come easy. 
easy. And I, I think when it comes to this idea of prayer, like let's just get real. When it comes to this idea of prayer, we can have a really hard time wrapping our minds around what a consistent, effective prayer life actually looks. Right? Like, we, we can get excited about the idea of it. Right? We can get excited about starting something, starting a prayer journal, starting a, 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 a time where I'm going to focus and pray on this. But then you get a couple of weeks in, you get a couple of months in, you, you, and it starts to wane a little bit. And then you read passages like 1 Thessalonians 5.16 that says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. <laughs> this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Like, okay, like I get it. Rejoice always. Come on. Woo! I can do that one. Pray without ceasing. What? Like, what, what, have you ever thought about like, what, what is that really supposed to, like, how does that, my brain goes to like, okay, like how? When, what, like, what does this look like to pray without ceasing? I mean, if this is God's will for us, if this is God's desire for us to, to be people who, who rejoice always and pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances, okay, so, so, so we're supposed to pray without stopping the, the prayers that are coming from us should be like a stream that never runs dry. I, I think if that's the will of God for us, then we need to begin to understand that maybe there's something in prayer that is way bigger than throwing some words up to heaven at night before you go to bed. That there's something in prayer that, that's way bigger than just throwing some words to heaven before you eat a meal. And look, this school has started for most of us who are students. There's something more in prayer than just throwing up some words to heaven before a test you didn't study for. Look, I did it. I mean, how many times did I pray? Oh, God, if you would just speak to me and tell me, is it A, B, C, or D? I will study next time, Lord. Just speak to me. He never did. The heavens were silent. How many of you, like me, see the beginning of the new year as a great place to, to like, set some goals, right? To, to set some, some new patterns, some, some new disciplines in front of us. Yeah, we, we all do. Like, it's the most natural thing. Why? Because starting feels good. The new of the new year, you're like, okay, it's going to be different this year, right? Like starting has kind of like this built-in adrenaline to it, right? It kind of has this, this built-in momentum to it. I heard it said one time that new always means momentum, that anything new has kind of some built-in momentum into it. And the, the beginning of the year 
that it's like kind of the convergence of that because almost every single person is going to have some goal, something, somewhere that they're trying to go, something they're trying to become. And it gets crystallized for them at the beginning of the year. And like, this is where I'm going. And, and like within the matter of days, statistics say, most of us have thrown out the window the very thing that we would have died on a hill for Days before. Because starting things is different than finishing things. And here's why. When we start things, we mistake adrenaline for passion. When we start things, we can mistake adrenaline for passion, right? There's momentum in new things. And that momentum has some built-in adrenaline, right? It's like a spark. It like fires you up. It gets you excited about it. And and just like pumped up about the fire of the potential of what could be, right? New always creates momentum in us and around us. But the fuel that starts things in us is not the fuel that keeps things burning, in us. It's persistence that's going to keep us believing. It's persistence. It's not passion. It's persistence that's going to keep us holding on. It's going to keep us pressing in. It's going to keep us coming back. man. We can all get fired up about a need. We can all get fired up about a burden. We can all get stoked about potential. We could all be motivated by a problem but that burden comes with passion, but that passion will change within us because passion is supposed to be fueled by persistence, not by emotion. Passion is fueled by persistence, not by an emotion. The emotions within passion can kind of feel like adrenaline. At the beginning, you're like, whoa, let's go, yeah. Let's make it happen, baby, let's do it. Right, it's like the beginning of a race. Everybody's excited at the beginning of a race. Nobody at the beginning of a race is like, oh, dang. No, they're like, man, I've been training for this. I'm ready for this. Let's go for this. But if it's a long race, you get to like mile 20, people are questioning if they ever should have ran the race. Because the adrenaline it fails you. The spark goes away. The passion wanes. The passion is not going to fuel you to the end of the race. It's persistence that's going to fuel you. It's not the emotion of passion. It's, it's that persistence is actually what fuels us into real change. Now, and then I'll be honest with you, this is what I think Jesus is trying to get us to begin to see when he tells this story in Luke 11, after he was asked by his disciples, God teach us to pray. He lines out this beautiful roadmap that we leaned into a couple of weeks ago, right? If, if you remember it, which I would be shocked if you did, Jesus like gives us this amazing roadmap on how we can come to him, right? It's remember who you are, remember who I am, and remember what kingdom you are living in. It's like this amazing roadmap of what it looks like for us to be a people that come to Jesus. This is how we do it. And in this window, right, 
There's this 1 Thessalonians 5.17 that's calling us to be a people that pray without ceasing. So Jesus is like, look, this is what prayer looks like. You need to remember who I am. You need to remember who I call you to be. You need to remember what kingdom you are living in. And then Paul admonishes us like, oh yeah, and never stop doing that. Like don't ever stop Doing that consistent prayer has more to do with the position of our heart than the frequency and the amount of words that we say. Consistent prayer has more to do with the position of our heart than the frequency and the amount of words that we say. I think the goal that's put before us in 1 Thessalonians 5 is not for us to be a people that are just like constantly saying words to heaven. Like, I don't, I don't think that's the goal. I don't think it's like that we're, we're supposed to constantly without ceasing be speaking words to heaven with our mouth. But I think the goal is that, that we would never leave the heart position that happens in intercession. That, that, that we would never leave that heart place that happens when we are speaking words from our mouth to heaven, that we would never leave that place of connection and, and communication with the living God. It, it's living plugged in. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's living plugged in versus trying to find the plug when you need him. It, it's living plugged in. Now, now, now watch where Jesus takes this in Luke 11. He goes on to tell a story that connects this beautiful roadmap that he gave us of remembering who he is and re remembering who we are and remembering what kingdom we're living in. He, he connects that amazing roadmap and he gives us like some, some ideas of his desire of how that's supposed to look in our lives. And he tells a story and he says, look, you know what prayer looks like? This is what it looks like. You know what it's supposed to feel like? This is what it feels like. It's like being so clear and so bold that you're going to go to your friend's house at midnight and ask him for some food. Now, if I'm being honest with you, I would have told a different story right there. Because that just kind of feels like college. <laughs> like this, you know, except for we didn't ask. We just like took and hoped that no one noticed. Like, I, I wouldn't have told this story about, like, a friend who goes to his, uh, his friend's house and says, Hey, friend, a buddy of mine came into town to hang out. I don't have any food. Can I have some food? Like, I just don't think that's the story I would have told. But I think if we look a little bit deeper into what Jesus is saying, I think we'll find some real gold. The first thing that we need to see is that it matters that we ask for what we need. It matters that we ask for what we need. I love that this story that Jesus tells to paint a picture of what prayer is supposed to look like in our lives is a dude that needs bread. He goes to his friend's house and he asks for bread. Jesus is like, that's what it's like. He had a need. He asked for the need. He got what he needed. It's so important that we ask for what we need. But everything about how the man asked for it was wrong. You don't go to your friend's house at midnight, especially when they have kids. All right? You don't show up at people's houses unannounced. You don't do that anymore. 
right? Everything that did, Jesus is like telling this story, saying like this dude broke every rule that there is to break when it comes to asking for something that you need. It's midnight. His, his buddy's house is locked up. The lights are off. The gate is closed. He's shouting because he can't even come in. Hey, friend. He doesn't even say the dude's name. They're not even that close. He doesn't know what to call him. So he says, hey, friend. Right? He's like, look. Look, I know it's late. I need some bread. And Jesus says, look, it's not because of his friendship. Isn't that the truth? There is no friend that's that good. If you're really my friend, I'm like, go home. Plan better next time. Your problem is not my problem. That's what friendship looks like to me, right? And he says, it's like, it's not his friendship. It's that you came with this bold audacity and you said, I need some bread. That he's like, all right, cool. You can have some bread. Look, it's so important that we see that God is not after us asking in some certain way. I mean, I think sometimes we don't ask for what we need because we're afraid we're going to ask for it the wrong way. Jesus tells a story of a guy asking for what he needed in all the wrong ways. And he says, that's what it looks like. Verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not give up, I love this, he's not going to get up and give you the bread because of your friendship. Yet because of your shameless audacity. It goes on in verse 9, right? Ask and it will be given to you. It matters that you ask for what you need. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks the door will be open. It matters more that we ask than how we ask. It matters more that we ask than how we ask. Now, I think that most of us shy away from this, not just because we're afraid that we're going to ask for the wrong, or ask in the wrong way, but we're afraid that we're going to ask for the wrong thing. Beloved, Jesus, don't you love how in moments like this, Jesus like keeps driving it in. He's like, my kingdom works in a different way. I'm not thinking about it the way that you're thinking about it. Because he goes on and he gives an example that every single father, every single mother, every single parent absolutely cannot deny. And that's this. It says in verse 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, is going to give him a snake? Oh, you're not going to do that. What Jesus is saying is the Father knows what you need. He knows what you need. He's not going to give you something that you don't need. Verse 12, or if he asks for an egg, is he going to give him a scorpion? I think we get really real. This hits close to home because sometimes we're afraid to ask God because we think if we're going to ask wrong, he's going to punish us by giving us something we don't want. Look, I used to hear this all the time in college. I would go around and ask people, what are you passionate about? And I don't know what it is about Christian people. They're like, what are you passionate about? They're like, you know what? Uh, It's really not what I'm passionate about. It's what God wants me to do. I'm like, you don't know who God is then. Because he made you. And, And he gave you desires and he wants those desires to come to pass. He's not freaked out. 
about the things you're passionate about. He made you passionate about them. What he's asking you to do is surrender those things to him so that he can breathe on them. He's not asking you to put them away because if you're scared that if you say something about it, he's going to give you something that you don't want. Look, man, I used to pray, God, please don't let me marry somebody I don't like. Man, what kind of theology is that? It's the theology of a junior higher. That's what that is. God is not going to give you something that you don't want. If you ask him for a fish, he's not going to give you a snake. And we see this again in Luke 18 when Jesus is telling another story about what a persistent, consistent, effective prayer life looks like. And this is what he says in this story. He's like, look, there's a widow who's looking for justice from this judge who is not just. And she just keeps going to this judge over and over. She's not letting this judge rest at all. And she's just like, every day she's pleading with him, give me justice, give me justice. And finally, Jesus says, the judge is like, look, I'm not even a good man. But because you won't leave me alone and you're wearing me out, I'm going to grant you your request. And Jesus in Luke 18, verse 6 says, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God bring about justice for those chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Church, write this on your heart. When we pray, things change. When we pray, when we consistently come and cry out day and night, things change. And when we ask, we will receive. And we don't just ask once. No, we come again and again and we keep coming and we keep asking. And here's why. Because the goal of a prayer life is not a transaction. It is transformation. The goal of a prayer life is not a transaction. It's transformation. Right? Like, if we would get this, if we would really get this, if we would really understand that the goal of prayer is not that we would get something, but that we would get him. It would change everything. It would jumpstart things in our lives where we've, where we've lost our passion because we mistaked it. We, we, we got distracted by the adrenaline of the new, and we, we gave up on things because we give up on things we don't see. Oftentimes, our prayer lives don't look anything like the pictures that Jesus painted for us. They don't look like this widow that just keeps coming and keeps coming because our focus becomes on the transaction and not the transformation. God, would you do this for me? Would you get that for me? Would you make that person fall in love with me? Oh, yo. God, would you save my brother? Would you move in my family? Would you do something in the life of my kids? God, would you fire my boss? Our prayers at times can sound transactional, right? And, and 
Look, we just talked about this, like asking you will receive. It matters that we ask for what we need. The story we've been leaning in today, Jesus tells us that there's a guy, he needed bread, he asked for bread, and he got bread. But that's a result of prayer. That's a result of prayer. That's not the goal of prayer. The goal of prayer is to be transformed. It's not a transaction. Look, we're going to quickly run out of momentum in our prayer life and be left confused, disappointed, and frustrated if we think that the goal of prayer is that we're going to see happen what we prayed for to happen. A consistent prayer life has more to do with the position of our heart than the frequency of our words. And if, and if a consistent prayer life has more to do with the position of our heart than the frequency of our words, then 2 Corinthians 3.18 makes something very, very clear. That's like when we, when we focus on him, we're going to be transformed into more of him. It says this in verse 18. And we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed. We're being made new into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Hear me. We can't give up on living a life of prayer or, or stop pursuing and, and, and presenting our requests to the Lord or, 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 or stop being open with what we need and, and, and stop bringing him the burdens that we're feeling, even if it feels like we're not seeing what we're declaring. We can't be distracted by the lack of the results because it's not about a transaction. It's about being transformed into his image. And if we allow our hearts to become distracted by what we're asking for, and we lose sight of the goal of living a life of prayer, and we just focus on the results, that we focus on the things that we're believing for, the answers we're waiting for, it's right there that we'll begin to lose heart. It's right there where we'll begin to feel our passion start to slip. It's, it's right there that our focus will begin to shift because it's not that we don't want to pray without ceasing. It's that we lose heart so fast waiting for results and answers and we're missing the whole goal. We're missing the whole goal of living a life that, that it's like this just never leaves the communion place with the heart of God that just stays right there. The goal of that is not what can we get. The goal of that is who are we with? We spend our days focusing on just coming to him, leaning into who he is. We're, we're going to find that he's all that we need in the middle of the things that don't make sense. Needs that don't go away. Breakthrough that doesn't seem to happen. Pain that doesn't make sense. Answers that do not seem to come quickly. We just need to keep coming. Keep asking. 
keep knocking. Colossians 3.1 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. The goal is Him. The goal is to become more like Him. Set your mind, set your heart on heaven, on the goal, not on the things that you hope to see, but on the one who has the answers to all things. How do you keep coming? How do we keep pursuing God with a full heart? How do we pray without ceasing? We have unending hope. How do we not lose our sense of believing that the best is yet to come when it feels like nothing comes easy, when it's hard, when it feels like a struggle? We focus on the goal of transformation and not our hope of a transaction. We, we focus on the goal of his coming and not just the possibility of the results that we hope for, that we're praying for. Look, once you live a little life, let me keep it real with all you young people. Once you live a little bit, you start getting really thankful that God didn't answer all your prayers. Right? You, you start resounding with Garth Brooks. Thanking God for unanswered prayers. If, if you've never heard that song, live a little bit, you'll listen to it. Because prayer is not about the transaction. It's not about the transaction. Prayer is about the transformation. And, and Jesus is calling us to be a people who ask, who keep asking, who seek and keep seeking and knock and keep knocking until heaven opens up. Until heaven opens up. Because when it seems like things are not coming easy, it's an opportunity. It's an invitation to stay close, to stay clear, and to be changed. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Let's pray. Jesus, would you allow our hearts that have been beat up and battered and bruised from the effects of the disappointment and the confusion of being distracted by the results that we hope for that happen in our prayer life and how they've pulled us away from the goal of what a consistent prayer life looks like. And, and God, I'm asking that you would draw us back to your heart and your desire that we would be a people that seek you, that draw close to you. Because when we get close to you, God, we get changed. When we get close to you, we actually get what we really need. And so I'm asking, Father, that you would move upon every heart, in every living room, in every home, across the city, and everyone who's tuning in, all across 
across the nation and around the world, that you would invade their homes with your presence, with your power, God, and, and with passion that's going to be fueled by persistence and not just be a moment of, of an, an emotional adrenaline hit, God, but a passion that, that lasts, a passion that draws us to keep seeking, to keep coming, and to keep knocking, God, because we believe that what you say is true and who you are is good. Lord, would you teach us to be a people that pray without ceasing and stay close to your heart. In Jesus' name, amen.